0: Um, We are going to continue our uh, survey of 1 Peter that we started last week. I say survey because we're not going verse by verse through 1 Peter. We're looking at it more thematically. And our theme is living in exile, uh, living as followers of Jesus in a hostile environment. And Peter, you remember from last week, is writing to exiles. He addressed his letter to exiles. But they're they are not, in fact, geographic exiles. The people he's writing to are actually in their natural homeland. He's referring to them in that way because they are spiritual exiles. They're, they're living in a world that's not the same home that they're called to live in. And I believe that in, uh, in the world today, we're in a similar situation. We looked last week a little bit at some of the characteristics of what's being called a post-Christian culture. Uh, we, we looked at several things, but particularly the quest for power and wealth that is so dominant in our culture today. And if you remember, Peter tells us that's not the goal. The goal isn't just to have more money and more power. The goal really is to learn to love one another. And that uh, the quest for power and wealth will always leave you short. It'll always leave you wanting more. But if we learn to love and we create a loving environment, that there's fulfillment and there's purpose and meaning in that beyond uh, what this world has to offer. So this morning we'll continue. We're going to look at, I'm going to skip ahead to just uh, a a short little passage at the end of chapter 2. There's just three verses here today. This is a a profound little passage. It's kind of poetic in some ways. It's powerful. Uh, It's what we might say uh, is a theologically loaded little section, meaning it's, it's brief, but there's a lot of theology in there. And, I, and I'll just, I want to give you a little, uh, here's a little pastoral exhortation this morning. Yes. Uh, my friend Todd Hunter was meeting with a group of young guys one time, kind of potential leaders or whatnot in the church, and they were reading together and they were discussing and one of the guys said, well, you know, I'm not a theologian. And Todd goes, no, we're all theologians. You're just either a good one or a bad one. And so my exhortation to us today is we're all theologians. You're just a good one or a bad one. I think it behooves us as followers of Jesus if we say the Bible is the Word of God and that's what we, you know, live our lives according to, we should know what it says. We should know what it teaches and what it means. So uh, we want to be good theologians, not bad theologians. So our... uh, our passage is at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter 3 verses, beginning in verse 21. We'll uh, read these together. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. It's pretty clear. Christ suffered for you. He was your example. Follow in His steps. And then he says this, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. And so our title this morning is The Wound That Heals. And I want to just say a quick prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Father, thanks for your word and your goodness and for your sacrifice on our behalf that we might follow your example and learn to live as you lived. In your name we pray, amen. So the cross is where God, through Jesus, moves to heal a wounded world. Uh, I think that very often when we think about the work of Jesus on the cross, we think, well, on the cross our sins were forgiven. And while that is absolutely true, it is also uh, short-sighted. Because the work of Jesus on the cross did much, much more than forgive our sins. Uh, It's so much bigger and broader than that. The work of Jesus on the cross actually... Healed a Wounded World. Uh, we live, in case you hadn't noticed, we live in a wounded world. Um, sometimes I think we don't notice it, because I think, if, if you're like me, and I'll, I'll, I'll own this one, you can own it if it's true for you, we just get numb to it. We just grow accustomed to it. It's just normal. This is just the way it is. You know. You drive around and you see stuff, and that's just life. We go, you know, starvation and hunger, and we go, yeah, I know. There's people in Africa that are starving, and there's some Ethiopian kid on a poster, and it's just so far removed. And the reality is that 500,000 people in the state of Oregon are food insecure today. Half of them are kids. 250,000 children in the state of Oregon will wake up tomorrow and not know where they're going to get breakfast. It's not that far away. We say poverty and, and, and you know, po- poverty, yeah, again, it's Haiti, it's over here, whatever. You know, 4,000 people in the city of Portland slept on the ground last night. wasn't cold last night, but some nights it is. 4,000 people in our city slept on the ground. And there's violence and there's war and there's racism and there's injustice. And it goes on and on and on and we just sort of get numb to it. And we go, that's just the way it is. And that's just the life. That's just the life. That's just that's just what happens. I wonder if you can imagine a, a world that's not like that. C- can you imagine a world that's different? Where those are not the realities that are faced day to day. Envision a world where those things don't exist. That's what... Uh, The Old Testament prophets did. Walter Brueggemann, who is one of my favorite authors and a good theologian, calls that the prophetic imagination. Yeah, man. He says that the prophets had the ability to see things that were not and to then communicate those as an encouragement to other believers. And one tremendous example, of course, is in The book of Isaiah. Isaiah says, this is just, you could just ponder this one for a few weeks. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. Animals aren't fighting and eating each other anymore. They're hanging out together and they're playing with little kids. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will be, will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Everybody is a vegetarian Just think about it. The infant will play near the cobra's dead, and the young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will not harm or destroy. And all my holy mountain, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. The redemption of God isn't limited to even the human race. It covers everything. The whole world is at peace. Now get it, understand, this is not the way it was. This is a far cry from what was happening in Isaiah's time. But Isaiah saw it. He saw something that wasn't, and he proclaimed, this is what it could be. And that's what we have the opportunity to enter into because of the work of Jesus on the cross, the kingdom of God was established, and and we can actually enter into a measure of that, a semblance of that, some order of that today. When we pray, thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly what we're asking for, for that presence of God and that reality to begin to take place here and now in our lives. Living as exiles is not easy. It's not easy because as I said, we become accustomed to the way it is and, and to move beyond living a life that is the way it is today, we need to be able to envision a world that's different. We need to have that prophetic imagination and see a preferable future. Can I begin to live my life in a way that's different than the life that I see and I'm accustomed to around me every day? The First couple chapters of the Bible show us a world as it could be, right? God creates the world. And and it's, it takes some time. And, and and in each time period that God's creating, He says it was good. It was good. Day three, He says it twice. It was good. It was good. Day six, He says what? It was very good. It was good. God created a place that we could call home, and that was the plan. The plan was that we, as His creation, would enjoy the goodness of creation, the, the, the goodness of one another, and the goodness of God. And that was the plan, that we would be in this place together, enjoying the goodness of creation. Now, if if you look, it's interesting. If you look at, in ancient Near Eastern culture, different religions, different beliefs, different groups of people, and they all have a creation story, and there are some similarities. In all of those creation stories, they begin the same. There's chaos, and sort of order comes out of chaos, and that's what we see in Genesis, in our story. But here's where they differ. This is the difference. In all the other stories, (coughs) there is sort of this cosmic battle between good and evil, and ultimately good wins out, and, you know... The world is formed. In our story, the biblical story, there's no battle. There's no good and evil. It starts good. In its its origin, in the beginning, it was good. That's what God planned. It it wasn't a battle for, for good and evil. God just said it's good. And that's what it's supposed to be. So we have Genesis 1 and 2, about four pages in our Bible, that it's good. And then it Goes downhill from there the rest of the way. Uh, Chapter 3, Chapter 4, this sort of desire for control begins to creep in, right? And we begin to blame one another. She did it. It's the woman God gave me. How many times have you heard that? She did it. I also heard that a few times. Uh, It wasn't long. That blame, you know, became jealousy, and jealousy became rivalry, and rivalry became violence, and violence became murder. And there you go. Pride, greed, blame, violence, murder. And it goes over and over and over and over again. And that's what you see all through the Bible. Pride, greed, blame, violence, murder, one time after another. Until the very end. In the book of Revelation, our good friend the Apostle John sums it up this way. He says, I saw four horsemen. First, there was a white horse, and the white horse was the horse of conquest. Conquer our enemies. It was followed by a red horse, the horse of war. After that came a black horse, which was famine and poverty. And finally, there was a pale horse called death. And if you've never heard Johnny Cash read that passage, you haven't lived. It's, just, it's a thing of beauty. But these four horsemen ride through Scripture, all through history. That's what we see. Over and over and over again. Conquest. One group says, we're better and we got to conquer the other group. So what do they do? They start a war. What happens? That leads to poverty and famine. After poverty and famine, everybody dies. And then it goes over and over and over again. And it's a cycle, an endless cycle that continues on and on and on. That's world history. You don't have to take a history class anymore. Right there. That's it. That's how it works. Forget it. You got your degree. Conquest, war, famine, poverty, death. Boom. Over. Until... Jesus shows up. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on his war horse. No. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And in a prophetic act, Jesus breaks the cycle. He says, no more. No more. Peter, in this passage, is thinking about what Jesus did. He's thinking about how Jesus died. Peter is aware he was part of the problem. Remember the garden. Peter drew the sword. You come at me, I come at you. And now he gets it. He understands that's not how you win. You don't win by fighting back. Jesus didn't retaliate. You don't break the cycle by fighting back. Jesus, James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven. Jesus goes, no, no, no. That's not what we do. We don't retaliate. We don't fight back. Jesus instead says he trusts the one who judges justly. Father, it's in your hands now. I submit to you. You know that that cycle, that abuse and, and suffering in the world, it's like a virus. You know, don't breathe in. Don't get too close because you'll catch it. I think we should all wear. Those little surgical masks, you know. I mean, anymore, every time I get on a plane, there's more and more people wearing the little masks because they know that if you breathe the air in that airplane, you're going to get sick. That's just the way it is. And that's the way life is. There's abuse and violence, and you breathe it in, and you get sick. Statistics show us that. It's all proven. What happens to an abu- a person who's abused? They become an abuser. That's what happens. People, people that are mistreated lash out at others. That's what happens. That's how it works. That's how it all works. That's how terrorism works. That's how gang warfare works. That's how dictatorships work. That's how the mafia works. You hurt me, I hurt you. Hello, my name is Enigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Even in funny, cute little movies, we laugh, but it's the same. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You hurt me, I hurt you. Jesus did not retaliate. He made no threats. He bore our sin, the sin of all the world—Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the conquering kings of the Old Testament, Pilate, Herod, Caiaphas, Judas, Peter, Stalin, Hitler, and Eagle Montoya. You and me—I don't think an Eagle Montoya is a real person, but. Jesus took all the sin and bore it in his body. He takes all the sin, all the woundedness of all the people of all time, and he bears that, and he doesn't retaliate. No paybacks. There are no paybacks. Instead, we are healed, and the cycle is broken. That's what happened on the cross. He entrusts himself to the one who judges justly. And what does the one... Who judges justly do when Jesus bears that sin in His body. He raises Him from the dead. Jesus comes back to life, but here's the catch. here's, Here's the big ticket. Does all of that sin come back with Him? No. This is just like what we say in baptism. You lay down, you get up, the sin stays down. Jesus was crucified, and all the sin of the world was crucified with him, and he resurrected, but the sin stayed down. We've said before that, again, ancient Near Eastern cultures have, all have Savior stories as well. They all have a Messiah. But the Messiah, and, and some of them come back from the dead, but they come back with a vengeance. They come back looking to kill the one who killed them. And so Jesus comes back. Where's Herod? Where's Pilate? I'll kill him! No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, peace be with you. He still had the wounds. Remember, remember uh, Thomas? I don't believe. I'm not going to believe until I see you, until I touch you. Well, Here I am, Tom. Put your hand right here. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Put your hand right here. And that hole in my side is still there. The wounds were there, but there was no vengeance. There's no vengeance in Jesus' self. By His wounds, you have been healed. He bore our sins, and with Him, sin died. I love uh, the author of Hebrews says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Cain is my brother. Abel is my brother. No, he's not. He's my enemy. He's my enemy because I'm a farmer and he's a shepherd and he's bringing his stupid sheep on my land that I need to grow things. They're just pooping everywhere. Poopy sheep. I'll kill him. It says the blood of Abel cried out and for generation after generation after generation the blood of Abel cries out for justice and there was no justice but the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. And in Jesus there was justice. Finally. And that's what the author of Hebrew means uh sin wounds us all and all sin wounds and it doesn't matter whether you're the sinner or the sin it all hurts john wimber said once if you step off a curb and get hit by a truck it doesn't matter if the light was red or green the pain is the same and what he meant was simply that all sin hurts you sin against somebody; it's going to cause pain. If you if you're sinned against, that's going to cause pain too. You know, we it's it's profound if you look at the cycle of history, and it repeats itself over and over. We take vengeance and we hurt the one that hurts us, and you see it all the time in the news. You know, you see it in in different ways, but I I'm always. Amazed at those scenes of the family in the courtroom, where the guy finally gets convicted. And, I hope he burns in hell, you know. And when you get justice, he had to pay for what he did. And here's the thing: we wound the one that wounded us, but it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't. It'll never take the pain away. All that happens is you become another chain, another another link in the chain of that cycle of blame and anger and vengeance and hurt. And there's only one way out. There's only one way out. The only way out is to take our woundedness and bring it to Jesus. We're, we're all wounded. We're all broken people. Look, we're all wounded. We're all broken people. Some more, some less. It's not equal and it's certainly not fair. But it's equally real. And it's equally hurts. It all hurts. Peter says, we die to sin. That's where sin goes to die, into the wounds of Jesus. And by those wounds then we are healed. The only way out is to take our brokenness to Jesus. You guys want to come up? Look it. Two things today. One is this, and I suppose this is the essence of it. Break the chain. Don't seek to continue to further that process by living in that pain and taking that out on other people. Instead, just bring that to Christ and let Him heal that wound because His wounds heal the whole world. Everything. Second thing, lesser but important is this, verse 21 that we started with. This is what we were called to. As Jesus suffered, we're called to enter into that, to follow his example, to do what he did, to let others off the hook. If somebody hurts you, instead of seeking vengeance and praying evil upon them, pray blessing on them. Father, they don't know what they're doing. Peace be with you. That's what Jesus said. That's what we want to do. That's the people that we want to be. That's who we're called to be. That's the way that this cycle ends and the world can really be changed. And I get it, we can't change the whole world, but we can change the little bit, right? The little bit that we're in. It's like that kid with the starfish. You know the story. You can change this one. I can make today better for this person. Let's stand.